Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Brian Grigsby, President of Moravian University, as our guest. Well, I, I always love to start off with, with your journey. Um, and I'd love to learn who are the mentors that helped shape, you know, your path to the presidency? Well, there's two important men. Uh, Robert Burkaw was a faculty member here at Moravian. And I was a, uh, I came to college to play soccer, uh, not for much else. And I thought I'd be a physics major. That lasted about two months. And uh, I was struggling with what I wanted to, you know, study and be. And uh, I came from two parents who were public school teachers. And so uh, education was kind of primary. And I ended up at a Jan term of poetry for people who hate poetry. And it was taught by Robert Bracaw, and I ended up coming up to him afterwards and saying, do you think I could be an English major? And uh, he said, I don't know, let's see. And um, that was, and I'm, I'm still friends with him to this day. He is, um, we have, uh, he's 90, 90, he'll be 94. We have uh, lunch twice a month, and uh, he is he mentored me into getting my PhD and um, following him. That was my ideal uh, path. He said at my inauguration that uh, I said to him, someday I'm going to come back and run this place. Uh, it sounds cocky enough to have the right author, but I don't remember saying that. But now <laughs> it's in the records as me saying that. I think if I... Um, if I meant that, I, I meant I was going to come back and be the English department chair like he was. Uh, I, I had no idea of being the college president. Uh, the next person was Alan Franson, who was my dissertation advisor. And he really formalized the kind of scholar and researcher I, I was going to be. Um, then I went into a number of jobs as you come out with your PhD. Uh, I was at University of Connecticut. I was at Eastern Connecticut State University. And then I landed a tenure track job at Centenary. And my third year into that job, I was uh, pulled aside and asked what I thought about administration. And I said to the guy, uh, I, it, it, Ken Hoyt was his name. I said, I, I think you guys are okay, but you wear funny suits. And he said, what about you becoming one of the funny suits? And I did the classic faculty thing. I will, I'll do this for three years and then I'll go back to the faculty. So that was uh, 2008 and you see how, or 2003. So you see how well I've done it going back to the <laughs> faculty. Um, but it was at that moment that I started really liking administration and how much impact I could have on students and faculty in an institution that I really said, I want to be at my alma mater. If I'm going to work this hard, in this career, I want to make my alma mater stronger. So I applied uh, for the president's job with one year under my belt as an administrator. I said, well, they can tell me if they don't want me, and they did. Um, and so I uh, waited out that president, uh, took a job down at Sen uh, Shenandoah University and worked for a great president there, Tracy Fitzsimmons, for five years and applied again for the job at Moravian. And this time I got it. So that's, that's my path. 
So what was your dissertation on? So my dissertation was on epidemic diseases in the Middle Ages. I do, my research area is the uh, interplay between uh, medicine and literature in mm. the Middle Ages. Um, so it made it very useful when you face a pandemic that you wrote about a series of pandemics uh, prior to that and what the historical response was. And so I know you have said uh, about English, you said the ability to communicate and think deeply are two of the most valuable skills you can get. The English department always delivers on these two outcomes. And with those skills, you can do anything. Now, I think that was coming from a place where, you know, I think people sometimes think, well, what can you do with an English degree? And I think you expanded on that very eloquently. Can you, ex can you expand on that even further and, and tell us how, how impactful being an English major was to you? Well, Bob Burkall used to say it's the only way that you can understand what it truly means to be human, because you can go into someone else's mind and actually know what they are thinking. And through a piece of literature, you are, you are in that character's mind. You know why they're saying what they're saying to other people, even though that communication may not be coming across to them. Um, you think of so many stories by Hemingway. It's more what's not being said than what is being said. And so you're constantly thinking about the other and how the other's receiving that. And so that skill in itself is worth the weight of gold in the marketplace. How many times can you say, wow, what I said, now that I think about it, he may not have heard that that way. Um, or he may think differently of me now that I said that. So um, it is truly the understanding of what it means to be human. And there's no other discipline. I mean, psychology is about um, the human mind and understanding the human mind. But in English, you're actually going into another's mind and listening to their inner thoughts and their motivations for doing things and saying things that gives you a reflective ability, unlike any other discipline. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you talk to me about the advantages of sitting down with a, stu a, a prospective student and his or her parents and just sharing the story that you were an alum? I mean, how, mm -hmm. how powerful is that? Yeah, it, there, it's, um, it's powerful in so many different ways. I mean, I, I can't walk out on the campus and uh, not see my 18-year-old self here um, or see my 18-year-old self in another 18-year-old self that's running around the campus. Um, my, my, uh, my son is here right now as a, as a first-year student, um, so that's also a joy. My oldest daughter graduated from here. Um, I think this education is perfect. Uh, I, I, I know there's you know, 3,999 other colleges and universities in this country that think theirs is perfect, but this one's, this one's pretty special. And so um, I often say, uh, you know, Moravian's the sixth oldest college in the nation. Um, we're over 280 years old. Uh, it's founded on the belief that uh, education is worthy of all. So it saw value in people that oftentimes others didn't see value in. 
So it's the first school to educate women. It's founded at first as a women's college. Um, and then the other aspect is that oftentimes the faculty here see potential in students who, do, who the student doesn't even see that potential in them. And that was me and with Bob Burkaw. I never imagined that I could get a PhD. Um, and for some reason, he saw potential in me that I didn't know was there. Yeah, well, I love hearing that, too, because I hear that from so many, um, you know, presidents and administrators about, you know, transformation, right? Really, yeah. the transformation for students and, and, and to your point, you know, really letting the students see what potential they have, you know, when they don't believe it. Right. So I think so powerful. many kids uh, that come to schools like this are really good kids. They're not problems in the public school system. And they've learned how to be charming and the teacher likes them and they slide through on that. That's a, that's a learned skill, right? And they, they've been rewarded for that, but they, they haven't been pushed yet. Um, and they come to a place like this and, and the faculty say, you know, you're charming. We really like you still, um, but this isn't going to cut it. You're going to have to, you're going to have to dig deeper. And um, in a lot of these small schools, they enable that to happen, that, that depth that the, that the student never even knew they had. So let's talk a little bit about the history. So you began in 1742. Yeah. Is that right? So, you know, you, you, you know, obviously you hear about the enrollment cliff and the realities of the enrollment cliff today and, and what we're going to see in the next several years. But, but it, in my opinion, you know, goodness, I see a school like Moravian and I go, my, you know, hey, the resiliency of this institution is is impressive, you know, because, right. you know, you see an enrollment cliff and you've been through many enrollment cliffs. You've been through wars. You've been, right. <laughs> you've been through right. a lot. So can you talk about just that history and, and, and how the institution continues to transform and meet students where they are? Yeah, so uh, I, I reminded the faculty when we were facing the pandemic that this isn't the first pandemic that Moravian <laughs> has survived. And, and so when I tell people that I have a war hospital on my campus, they go, oh, from the Civil War? And I go, no, from the Revolutionary War. There was, there was a war before that one. And, and the resilience is um, not, this place is not afraid of change. Uh, and so you know, when the, they, they stay true to their values, they stay true to um, helping one another and seeing uh, a sense of community. We have a war hospital because uh, the, the, uh, the colonists, uh, the um, Continental Army, George Washington and others came here and met with the Moravians and wanted them to fight in the war. And they were pacifists. They weren't going to pick up a weapon but they chose to turn their dormitory into a revolutionary war hospital. And Lafayette was rehabilitated there. 5,000 souls went through there, but they told the continental army, we're going to treat both sides equally. So just as many Hessian soldiers and British soldiers went through that hospital as American soldiers, um, they remained true to their values that they were going to help all of humanity. And that is their, um, their gift to, the secular world is the college, the university that bears their name. Uh, and so we've transformed over time. I mean, we, we started out as a, um, a 
kind of K through, uh, well, the first, the 24 girls that started the school, um, they were 10 to 12. And that began the educational process. And then they added years onto that and years uh, later than that. And then they added a seminary onto that. And then they added graduate work. And, um, and then when it became, when liberal arts became in fashion, they moved into the liberal arts model. And as um, we've moved out of that model into a master's comprehensive university, the, the goal is always uh, Comenius, who's the father of modern education and the um, first Moravian, one of the first Moravian bishops said that um, education should concern itself with that which concerns society. So if it concerns society, we should be teaching it. And there's a, you know, so we don't exclude nursing uh, because it's, it's not a liberal arts. Um, we don't exclude business or, or teacher education or any of those other uh, disciplines. We think that we can make them even more powerful with the liberal arts. So it's been about change and continuing to evolve as, as the country continues to evolve. Yeah, and I think for institutions to be sustainable, they continue to need to be agile and adaptive. And um, Can you talk a little bit about um, how important uh, the local community is? You know, having a relationship with, um, with the local community, um, with businesses, and, yeah. and really ensuring students are career ready. Yeah, so um, people often talk about town-gown problems, but we, we since the Moravians started the town and started the university right after, you know, six months after landing here, there tends not to be as much of a town gown problem since um, we, you know, we didn't show up at some point. We've always kind of been here. Uh, we're about to get world heritage. We're, we're on the, we've been nominated by the uh, U.S. government to be the next world heritage site um, uh, because of Moravian's commitment to community and education. Uh, we are, when people talk about the Pennsylvania brain drain, um, we're not part of that brain drain. 68% of our graduates live and work in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, so we are definitely producing the students that the hospitals need, that the school district needs, and that all the businesses like B. Braun and Crayola um, uh, and Olympus are here in the Lehigh Valley as their corporate headquarters need. So um, we do a badging program uh, from the NACE badges. So all our students collect real world skills as they go through their, their education over four years. So they can come out to the business and say, yes, here's my transcript, but here's all my badges that demonstrate I'm a leader. I can do teamwork. I can do uh, technology. I, I can, um, I'm ethical and I'm responsible. Um, so we make sure that every single student has all those uh, career ready skills when they leave. And if they don't get a job, um, Moravian commits to doing six months of their uh, student loan payments if they have student loan payments uh, because they can't get it, if they can't get a job. But we, we have a 99% placement rate right now um, out, of, out, of the, out of the university. So um, we definitely are producing career-ready students. And, uh, you know, oftentimes you hear that with, with alumni, you know, that's the best marketing tool that you can have. How are you engaging alumni today? 
so our alumni are always on campus and so many of them live so close. They do interviewing for students and in mock interviews. Some of them pro uh, provide suits for students who don't have suits. Um, we, we, many of them, uh, one of our, four, one of our board members was, um, was the president of, of, of Tiffany's in the diamond division division. He would take uh, six to eight interns every year. Um, we have many of our alums at pulling co-ops and interns. Um, Merck is one of our largest intern um, providers and an alum is there and they take 15 to 20 interns every year. So using those, uh, providing that first step up, that first job, that first experience, um, we leverage all, all of our alumni in the Lehigh Valley that makes it very convenient for students to get the, that market, that experience in the market. So what are the top two or three things that are on your mind every day, like the top priorities? Uh, I'm worried about the state of our country, about colleges right now. This is um, men particularly are telling men they don't need college. And, and yes, we do need welders. We need truck drivers, but we need scientists. We need doctors. We need uh, entrepreneurs and I am really worried uh, right now that the apprenticeship programs that we're starting to see may fill a short time job need, but the student, the employer is not going to have the soft skills to move up to the next level or to change careers. They're only going to be able uh, to sit in that one career and that career could be a dead end career in 10, 15 years. Um, I don't hear the mantra of you don't need college coming out of the mouths of women. And I see women by far succeeding more in college than men are right now. Um, and so that's one of my, um, I think, I think we're being short-sighted. I, I agree with everybody that not everybody needs to go to college, but without college, you're not going to also have doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs and um, nurses and all the other kinds of roles that we do need. So that, that's, that's one of the top ones. The other one that um, is really uh, top of mind is that, that education is costly. Um, we, we have uh, the Bethlehem School District for, to put one kid through the Bethlehem School District here, K through 12, is $20,000 a year. And mm -hmm. people don't realize that, that it's that expensive. So when you say, okay, we're going to go to college and it's going to cost $30,000, that's really not that much of a leap to say, okay, you got faculty who now have PhDs, we're, we have multiple buildings we're keeping up, we're managing the students 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, we're feeding them three meals a day with no federal help or state help in that. It's really not that expensive when you're looking at it from that perspective. But because most people who go through public school system don't realize the real cost of it, coming to an independent school like Moravian, all of a sudden it, they have sticker shock because they, they weren't paying that amount to go to public school. So the, I think those are the challenges. Yeah. Um, 
Americans like having the best, the best health care, the best higher education, but we don't like paying for the best in healthcare and the best in higher education. We want the best at the cheapest possible. And that is often in conflict when you come up with um, places that are high touch, right? High touch and high technology, uh, like hospitals and, and our healthcare system and our education system. Yeah, absolutely. And so how, how do you get out in front of that? I mean, do you work with feeder schools, high schools or community colleges just to be able to get in there and talk about Moravian and what, what the institution offers? Yeah, so one of the things we offer is a number of full-ride scholarships with our partner schools. So Bethlehem Area School District, as a way to give back, we offer a full ride uh, to two students, one from Freedom and one from Liberty. We do the same thing with Northampton Community College and Lehigh, Valley, uh, Lehigh Community College. Um, that they students have to apply to that um, to those programs. So you're looking at like a hundred students often apply to those programs. What we do with those applications that aren't selected is we package them uh, because they applied to the institution and we give them what their package is. And oftentimes they find out we're cheaper than many of the state uh, universities that are around. So um, it's a way of getting out to the market, particularly in a diverse market, that uh, this is a, an affordable form of education that is very personalized. Uh, most people don't understand that independent colleges are built on the Oxford model. So that is the, the professor is at the elbow of the student working on the student's skills. The state universities are built on the German model which is large lecture halls with a faculty member giving off their knowledge, professing their knowledge to the group. Both skills use, uh, have different outcomes. Students who are really good at oral and listening skills can learn a lot from a faculty member lecturing. Students in the Oxford model and what private colleges do are learning by doing. So the, the faculty member is saying, no, that's not correct. This is how you do that. So there are two different, incredibly distinct models. And it is why private education costs so much is because you're in a classroom, you know, my Chaucer class, class here as a, as a student was me and three other students. There were four of us. My first Shakespeare course at the University of Connecticut was over 100 students. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a very different kind of model. Well, absolutely. And so how, how do you define student success? I find, define student success as um, you found vocation is a bad word uh, in, in the context of we think of vocational training, but vocation means what you're called to do. It's simple as that. And that's what student success to me is. A student comes in and they find out what they're called to do or be. And, you know, what happens to students is you're in high school and the outcome's really simple. Get good grades, be in a lot of clubs and activities so you can get into a good college. Okay, then what? 
it's not as clear anymore on what I do. It's not as linear as it was all through their education. It's been linear till they get to college. And now the question is, now what do I do? And so student success to me is that the student finds their passion, what they were called to do, and leaves energized and um, wanting to do that for the rest of their life. They most likely won't do it for the rest of their life. They're most likely, right now, the prediction is 13 different careers from the kids we're graduating. But if we've done our job right, they have all the soft skills that they'll be able to shift those careers as, as their lives change over time, but that they have a clear passion on what makes them happy in learning and doing. And now, where do you see Moravian University in five years? Um, I see Moravian, we're very, very known for our healthcare programs and our rehabilitative sciences. We'll be adding to those. I hope that in five years, we have our own DO program and are producing doctors out of that um, and helping alleviate the medical professional shortage that, that is looming for all of us. Um, we'll be very focused in career preparation in teachers and nurses and doctors and uh, physical therapists and speech pathologists, all those kind of things. Um, we'll be about, I'm hoping in five years, we'll be um, roughly double the size that we are right now, but equally split between graduate and undergraduate. Um, so we just acquired Lancaster Theological Seminary. So we have an expansion down into the Lancaster market. Um, I'm hoping we'll be about uh, between five and 7,000 students at that time. Well, Brian Grigsby, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for sharing uh, information and, and you know your background and also talking to us about Moravian University. Thank you. Well, thank you. This was a pleasure. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.